This episode of No Wrong Answers is brought to you by the Kauffman Foundation, which invests in educators and lifts up the Kansas City region and is dedicated to learning together to improve educational and economic success. Learn more at Kauffman.org. A Mississippi school district takes to kill a mockingbird out of its curriculum, and a New Jersey teacher tells students to speak American. It's just another week in the USA, and our teachers have plenty of thoughts about both of those things. Plus, kids' use of screen time is going up. Our teachers say that's affecting their ability to read, to work together, even to draw shapes. We'll end like we always do with kids these days, so put your phones down on this episode of the No Wrong Answers podcast. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the weekly podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. I'm a former teacher turned journalist, and I'm joined, as always, by a group of hardworking teachers who are ready to talk. So let's introduce them. Maria Kennedy, it's been a while. Welcome back. What do you teach? Uh, Hi, I teach AP U.S. History. Rebecca McIntosh, what do you teach? I teach students in the elementary school at an alternative program. And David Persley, what do you teach? I teach high school math and computer science. All three of them are educators at public schools or public charter schools in the Kansas City metro area. One of the bigger education-related news stories of this past week originates out of Biloxi, Mississippi, and again forces educators to confront questions about race and the ongoing cultural and political acrimony in America. The Biloxi Sun-Herald first reported that the Biloxi School District was dropping Harper Lee's classic To Kill a Mockingbird from its 8th grade English curriculum after apparently some parents complained that some language in the book, which we should say won the Pulitzer Prize in 1961, made them uncomfortable. As Kenny Holloway, vice president of the Biloxi School District, told the Sun-Herald, quote, We can teach the same lesson with other books. It's still in our library, but they're going to use another book in the 8th grade course. The newspaper reports specifically that at least one parent confirms it was the use of the N-word in the book that made some people uncomfortable. Now, this is nothing new per se. The American Library Association says Mockingbird perennially runs into efforts to challenge its use in schools. The ALA puts it number 21 on its most recent list of top 100 most banned or challenged books around America. What makes this news now for many people is that Biloxi's choice to remove Mockingbird from its curriculum comes close on the heels of events like Charlottesville and amid our ongoing and often bitter national conversation about racism, bigotry, and white nationalism. Many people, in light of the Biloxi School's decision, made the argument the Pulitzer Prize-winning nationally syndicated columnist Leonard Pitts made that making readers uncomfortable is the point of To Kill a Mockingbird. To quote Pitts, we should ask those uncomfortable people in Biloxi and elsewhere, where did you get the idea you should be sheltered from history? What made you think you had an expectation of being shielded from truth? Who told you you had a right never to be made ill at ease? That's the end of his quote. Maybe now more than ever, the argument goes Mockingbird needs to be taught in our public schools. Still, there is an interesting counter to that argument articulated most prominently by writer and musician Alice Randall, writing for NBC News. She says we should be questioning Mockingbird's use in school curriculum, especially for kids as young as eighth grade. She has several problems with the book. Yes, she's bothered by the use of the N-word, but her bigger complaints are this. She says it sends a message to girls that they won't be believed if they report sexual abuse or harassment. Remember, the central conflict of the story is a white woman's ultimately false claim that a black man rapes her. Further, she says it reinforces the message to black boys that they can't trust the criminal justice system. To top it off, Randall writes that Mockingbird plays on stereotypes of African-Americans pointing out that the book's black characters have little agency or personal depth. 
It's worth reading Randall's closing argument in full. She writes, quote, though it holds sentimental pride of place for so many as the first book they read about race and injustice, To Kill a Mockingbird is more than a book about race and injustice and is not the only book about race and injustice. In the 21st century, it may not be the best book to illuminate those themes, especially when it reinforces so many stereotypes and misconceptions many eighth graders are hardly equipped to consider, end quote. So this was a big deal for teachers. I think, you know, this was a thing that you know, kind of exploded on social media and you saw all kinds of posts from teachers and educators. I can't believe this. Or this is like just and, – and I have to say, me and my friends were joking that this was going to happen about a month ago. <laughs> and, then, and then it happened. Um, but I guess what are your thoughts, just first of all, just about the Biloxi School District's decision to drop Mockingbird? It, it, it always surprises me when this makes news because, one, it, it's – you use the word perennial. This happens all the time and district after district after district go through this ritual. They go through this, this ballet of – With this book in particular. Of, of – yes. Yeah. Like you said, this is – this happens – Frequently, it's on the list always. Yeah. This one, Huck Finn, name any of the top ten. Yeah. And so that, as a as a teacher who doesn't avoid it, uh, that pleases me. That just tickles me to that. <laughs> Still, that I can count on that, yes. that we can have the Harry Potter conversation. Um, that tickles me. Um, it just it it also is 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 a constant surprise to me that they don't realize how this is going to play out. That they still haven't found this formula. Um, in Biloxi, that, that this is what happens. You get a parent complaint. This is this is not the end of that. What does you, our this, you know? It I needs guess to go in a different way for the whole table. Does our current political climate, as it is, does it make this news more so than than in past years? When yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, like school districts all the time try to to challenge To Kill a Mockingbird. Is it, sure. is, it, is it more news yeah. now yeah. this current political moment? Yeah, yeah, it's a convenient yeah. fit yes. right now. Yes. People yes. are hypersensitive to this. It's it's one more it's one more piece of raw meat to both sides yeah. of the argument um, to to everyone to latch on and 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 try to make their case with. Yeah, um, part well, of the what curriculum. Do, what do we make of of Alice Randall's arguments that I was I was reading towards the end mm-hmm. of my intro that um, they convey negative messages about racial minorities and women. Um, that there is actually a cause for talking about Mockingbird's use in curriculum now. I think that part of her argument is crap. And, and, and by that, I mean, I think she's underestimating. And again, I can only think about my students, and mind you, they come from underserved communities, so understanding that, um, and I love the way Maria framed it, but they're so acutely aware. Like, they are so perceptive and see everything, and... And I feel like people are constantly underestimating their ability to recognize those types of things all the time. Now, a part of our argument that I did find compelling was about trying to make sure you bring in text and content that's topical and relevant to the lives of students, right? And I also think there's a lot of importance in making sure that you find pieces of literature that, like, capture the time and era well. And I feel like To Kill a Mockingbird does a pretty good job of that. The analogy I think of, and this is kind of a silly one, but, like, is, like, for my kids, hip-hop and music is a big thing, and right? And, like... I'm an old school hip hop head and like I love 80s, 90s rap and, and R&B and I try to like compel my students to take on enjoying those types of music but they're much more into like the new rap and new hip hop, right? And that's because it's more relatable. So if you can find newer books and content that address the same issues, great, right? I think if you can include both but the argument that like using a book like To Kill a Mockingbird is going to allow students to like reinforce negative stereotypes and like that they're not going to be able, be able to untangle what's bad from good 
in the context of that book is 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 crazy to me. Yeah, Maria, you are vigorously jabbing your finger at David. You agree? That's right. <laughs> but yes, in a loving way. Uh, I agree with you, David, a hundred percent. So I apologize to our lovely and esteemed audience, but I'm gonna nerd out on you because this is like my jam. So Do it. history, right? Like this matters. Context matters. Um, Kyle, to your question about Alice Randall and her argument. Ultimately, I find it specious. Um, I think her her point on women being believed around claiming sexual assault, I understand. I do yeah, understand yeah. that. I also think if that's what we're taking out, we've completely fundamentally missed the point of the book. Yep. And we've taken the book out of its context. Yep. And I, with students, I think often we as teachers have a decision to make around protection or exposure. Do we protect mm. and shield kids or do we expose. expose them to it and like guide them through that? For right or for wrong, for better or worse, I usually, though not always, err on the side of exposure because this is real life and this is the real world. And also, frankly, I think it's a bit disingenuous because the reality is that my kids do experience these things mm -hmm. every day. Mm. And so to assume on my part, that, oh, I need to protect you, you know, that cat may be already out of the bag. So, anyway. And when, you, when you say an argument like the one that Alice Randall makes takes To Kill a Mockingbird out of the context, I mean, the, the context of it was written in a time when white women had, had pretty routinely accused black men of of yes, rape or sexual exactly. assault or, or other types of right. se sexualized crimes <laughs> yep. falsely, mm -hmm. and it led to... Exactly. Those, yeah. yep. As a way to oppress black men. people, men in particular. Yeah. Yes. One thing we could do if I were teaching this, I'm, I'm not a, an ELA teacher, but if I were to teach this, be like, great, so like, here's a moment. Um, we can certainly talk about continuity and change over time yeah. um, and look at a couple things. One, reading this book, what has stayed the same in our society? Yes. What are the continuities here? Okay, now what are the changes? Mm -hmm. So, And then I think, Dave, I agree with your point about bringing in Randall's other comment around things that students may find that are, are more topical and relevant, and relevant to them, yeah. quote-unquote, today. Yes. Though I would argue that, again, <laughs> To Kill a Mockingbird is is relevant. I don't care if it was written in the 60s. You mind if I chime in super quick? <laughs> yeah, I think, go. No, I think what's crazy is that this year in particular has brought to surface some of the same issues that I think a lot of people would have been inclined to believe we were past Right. And like, right. so I feel like this book is even more topical than ever. And that's why I find it even more ironic that they decided to ban yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And to assume that because something was written, um, you know, many decades ago, that it is no longer topical or relevant. Again, I, I just find specious and, uh, and a direct attack to my beloved content. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, we should but, say, I mean, yeah. Alice Randall in her larger piece, she, I mean, she makes these arguments. But she also suggests books like Walter D. Meyer's Monster, which is another mm -hmm. kind of more modern book that um, deals with, you know, themes of, of black men being accused falsely of a crime and being, you know, being imprisoned um, and kind of relating the prison experience. I think the I think the fundamental the crux of the whole thing and that was beautiful. I was really digging that guys. <laughs> is that the difference here is that Alice Randall and she makes good points and yeah, has great she but does. she's not a teacher. And you all went straight to the how do you teach this? How yes. is this relevant mm -hmm. in curriculum? Mm -hmm. How is this taught? Because you can't just do it a chapter every other day so you can get to the movie 3 weeks in September. That will not get you to instant Racial justice yeah. illumination. Sorry, that's not how <laughs> that's that, not you, how that cannot be delivered in that way. Yeah. But you all went straight to the how do you 
present it, facilitate it, and guide it. And that's good teaching, and that's Can, the difference. I want to throw a monkey wrench in here real quick because I just I, one of the other points that she didn't make that I like no, had to think about was like, what if you do have a teacher who's ill-equipped to teach this content, mm-hmm. right? To the extent well, that, I mean, like, and, it, and it's so widely taught that I'm sure there are teachers who yes oh, who feel uncomfortable or or not thinking about it at the depth that cold. you. I think again to play to the lowest common denominator. <laughs> I just, yeah I. I just to play to the lowest common denominator is a, is a losing battle. And I fully and readily admit that there are teachers in our um, profession that are not equipped to teach this book. Yes, I agree. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't continue to push and I we do. shouldn't continue to, to teach it. Um, one, one final thought. I just want to like put a bow on that earlier comment about... Um, the white woman and just the issues of like rape and sexual assault and, and believing. I think again, Rebecca, to your point, it's about how we teach it, mm-hmm. right? So, if we look at it and say, "Hey, like here's a moment where this could be interpreted this way," why is interpreting? Why would that be problematic? Like, let's actually contextualize this mm, moment yeah. in the book and understand um, what Harper Lee is trying to communicate here with author's purpose. But again, to your point, it's about how we teach these things Absolutely. and to analyze it in a vacuum or analyze it in a way that removes it from being student facing Yeah, is 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 just less useful it's than malpractice. Yeah. 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 It's just not. Yeah. It's malpractice. It's, it's not educational it's not. malpractice. Yeah. So we're all in agreement. To, to, to kill a mockingbird stays. Yes. Yes. Vehemently. All bent. Yeah. Read more band books. <laughs> right. <laughs> Our podcast today is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation, learning together with families, educators, entrepreneurs, and innovators to develop quality education that prepares all of Kansas City's students for the future of learning and work. Join the conversation by visiting Kaufman.org or on Twitter at KaufmanFDN. Another big education-related story that broke through to bigger news this week was another story that, again, uh, hit at what we can, I guess, describe as our ongoing culture wars. About 100 students at a high school in New Jersey staged a walkout a few days after a teacher at the school was caught on cell phone video telling a group of students to speak American and not Spanish. At least one of the students at the center of this story told the local NBC television affiliate that she and her friends had been talking in class in Spanish about the New York Yankees and the Major League Baseball playoffs, and the teacher, who reportedly was normally an English teacher subbing into that class for an absent algebra teacher, told the students that American soldiers were, quote, not fighting for your right to speak Spanish, they're fighting for your right to speak American, end quote, and that was caught on cell phone video. The girl who spoke to that NBC station is, in fact, a recent immigrant from the Dominican Republic. She was being told to speak American. She said, that hurts because I came to this country to accomplish my dreams and to hear that it's not fair. She also pointed out that American is not a language. That girl's mother and other <laughs> that girl's mother and other parents at the school, which we should say is comprised of a student body in which about 50% of the students report speaking Spanish at home, say the teacher should be fired. The Cliffside Park School Board is reportedly considering what, if any, disciplinary action to take against the teacher, at least at the time of this taping. So again, let's just start with the same question I started the last segment with. Uh, your feelings, gut reactions to this story. How does this make you feel? 
It's disappointing. Yeah. It's just sad. It's disheartening. There's, and, and there's too many levels to look at it because, one, you know, as teachers at the table, you know there's more to the story. There's this – whoever this lady is. Um, the teacher. The teacher. Not teacher. This person that was in the room. Not a teacher. There's other stuff <clears throat> that this person has done. There's going to be a file. There's going to be stuff we don't know. So it's not in this story. And as the union thug at the table, I have to stand up for that due process. The investigation has to happen. You have to get all the relevant information. Posting a, a Facebook video and then going straight to the crucifixion is not appropriate. Right. I mean, and we, However, having said that, um, and I'm also going to come down administratively, some students need to be you – don't, you don't just walk out off campus. You don't pull a fire alarm. You got to talk about civil disobedience. You got to talk about your First Amendment rights. You got to do this the right way, kids. Come on. Yeah, and, and to be clear, um, what you're referencing, they 100 students kind of like staged the walkout, but then during that walkout, someone pulled a fire alarm, and so the entire school had to be. So the context be, is um, important. Yeah, yep. yep. the mm-hmm. full the full story is important. And some students said that they are they are actually being disciplined for that for, for pulling the Saturday fire alarm. Schools, yeah, yeah. And and I'm going to come down with you. We got to be safe always. Yeah. Um, so there's there's more information about that. Having said all of that, move her out and move her out quickly. Oh, uh, so I mean, yeah, this get, <laughs> this no, g- these are not the conversations. No, though this, nope. I mean, this gets to my to my next question is, I guess, how should this teacher be disciplined? And I guess the bigger question, which we can get to, is because we've kind of danced around this topic sure. before on other episodes, is if you have colleagues who hold or express, whether in a moment of passion or not. <laughs> reprehensible views or views that you strongly disagree with or think should not be exposed to kids, uh, how do you deal with those colleagues? Or how do you, how, you know, what, what place are there in schools for those people? And I, and I know I'm saying those people, and, I, those I, people. I know, and I just <laughs> said, but, and yeah. I, you're, okay, we But that's how it is. No, we well, have let's, let's start with, so how should this, right. how should this teacher be disciplined? Start with that. I, I think termination is... Is a must. When when I see something like this, it <laughs> feeds into my sometimes cynical views that there are other teachers who probably feel the same way. Right. And so, if the teacher, I mean, I think the teacher should write an apology. I think you set up some sort of training around diversity, cultural competence. Right. I don't know if you bring that teacher back, even though. You're trying to make a learning opportunity out of it for everyone, you know. I feel like you hold teachers to a higher standard, but again, you know, we make mistakes. Like, do you do you try to make a learning moment out of it, or you just kick them out and say this is this is unacceptable? Anyone who does this will be dealt with in this manner. Right. So, I mean, is there Maria? You're writing notes down to yourself, but I mean, is there? I'm torn. Is there a? Should this person be trained up? Should this person be talked to, or is it? Is this person just gone? I mean, is this person? Mm. You just tell this person don't come back to the classroom. Mm. Yeah, I think what's done is done, which is really unfortunate. I would dismiss that teacher. I would also say, and what we're talking about right now are all purely reactive solutions. I I want to take the conversation in a different direction, if only for a moment. I actually want to talk about proactive solutions. So my question is, why is this, how is it that this teacher was hired? Um, What... What was missed in the hiring process? There And then from there, look at what was your hiring process. My school, and I, I come at it admittedly from a different standpoint. So I, I do work at a public charter school. We have 
um, complete control over the hiring process. And I know that that's not the case for other schools and other um, school districts mm-hmm. across the country. So um, with that being said, we screen actually less for teacher raw ability and raw skill and more for mindsets. Um, we have like a multi-layered hiring process. The first two layers are just all about your mindsets. The third mindsets are also weaved in. Um, so but I, all so those my, things are screened yeah. for. Yeah, go ahead. So I might interrupt. So like m- what mindsets are you looking for? So there will be like fake scenarios about kids. Um, and, and this is during the hiring process. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a phone interview. Well, there's the initial application. You have to fill out all that. Then there's the phone interview. Then there's the all-day all day in-person interview on campus. Uh, It's really intense. But the phone interview, there's a bunch of different um, student scenarios. So like, here's this, you know, hypothetical scenario, what would you do if? And, you know, you'll you'll give an an initial response and then there'll be a wrench thrown in or a, yeah, okay, so like new scenario or like this other thing has happened or the circumstances have changed. And all those questions are intentionally designed to like root out your fundamental mind. That's not what you think is the correct answer or what you are supposed to say, but what you are actually supposed to say. And like for the purposes of integrity for that hiring process, I can't really go into the specific questions, Um, but it's really designed to like root out what do you actually think about kids? What do you actually think about teaching? So if you, if you, in secret, maybe think that kids should speak American. It would be. Yeah, it would come out in one way or the other. I feel really confident that would come out in so the that, hiring process. Uh, that, yes. that, uh, that process you described sounds uh, thorough. It also yep. doesn't sound, and as you kind of hinted at, it may not be practical for, for, every, for all school for districts, all districts. schools, large districts. Absolutely. Um, so again, I guess back to that question of like, um, and Maria's posed a good one, right? As opposed to being reactive, proactive. Like, how do you, how do, how do you well, spot pe- people who might hold views that that you think could be um, detrimental to mm-hmm. students, especially students of color? I think what David said earlier about what happens now is extremely important. Yeah. Maybe this teacher. We don't know. We don't know that investigation, that due process. Um, is is this one of multiple incidents? Would she understand her mistake and be on board in the healing and the post-learning yeah. that happens? Um, don't write me a letter of an apology. You get in front of this class and, and do it, you yeah. have that lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, would she be a part of that? Would, you know, where administratively are we going to be on that? So I I think that's unlikely. Yeah, you know, I agree. Human nature-wise. Just, just but thinks... I think now that, now that it's a teaching moment, now it's a school climate yeah. issue. Now you're going to spend the rest of this year recovering from this. This is the conversation for the rest yeah, of the year. I hear what you're saying. I think there would be a that lot of people. I it. think there would be a lot of people listening to this who would say, "I, you know, I don't know if this teacher deserves that that second yeah. chance." And that's fair. And I get it. And yeah. that's fair. Yeah. Cut her loose. Yeah. But you still have to have that. This now, this learning. This yeah. is now on the yeah. table. We we yeah. It, she it might cannot not be the be, only one who. It cannot be one and done, and she can't just disappear and we never talk about it again. Yeah. Um, no matter what happens to this individual. Yeah, the, I guess... So it has to be part of a bigger climate conversation. conversation. Yes. So do you think there are mindsets that disqualify people from being a teacher? There should. <laughs> Funny that that's but not an immediate... It? Yes. I mean, that you didn't get three, three immediate yeses. I'm gonna, well, yeah. I mean, uh, I just think it's so hard, it's so hard for me to rationalize. Right. Um... <laughs> execution on a national level in the hiring process to 
scan and filter out for those types of things, right? And and this may be somewhat speculative, but I'm thinking of less diverse communities and mm-hmm. schools where, you know, um, the issues don't come negative. Up as yeah, often. they don't come up as often, or truthfully, they harbor negative resentment towards minority groups, right? Even if they have small amounts of those types of students at their school, are they being intentional and like empowering those students? How do they feel, right? Like, is a extreme minority, right? Because I'm thinking at a school where there's even less students, um, um, Latino students, a walkout probably would have been staged at all, right? And so, even if they didn't go about doing it in the best way, I still. Um, like give my kudos to those students for for stepping up and doing something that was brave, right? But you got to do it in an appropriate and reasonable way. But at the same time, I don't know if a lot of schools would have had something like that play out that puts it front and center and forces the school to address it in the first place. Maria, you were nodding when I asked the question, do having certain mindsets disqualify you from being a teacher? I think ultimately, yes. But I also, I just, I think the fundamental essential question that I have that I honestly, I don't have a good answer to, is to what degree do we hold individuals accountable for their individual actions when those actions are born out of ignorance? I think about it for students. If I, because I used to teach second grade before I taught high school. Um, If I have a second grade student who is using inappropriate language or who doesn't, going back to our previous conversation, has issues with respecting others' body space, I... There's there's tension there because on one hand, that student is still learning those things yeah. and there's some ignorance of what are like proper or at least like generally accepted social norms and mores around body space. At the same time, that student does need to be held accountable for his or her individual actions. Um, but there's a tension there. But I think our impulse or, or my impulse as a teacher is to make it a learning moment yeah, and a learning same. opportunity. Where then is the line for adults? And I don't know this woman. I don't know specifics. But I wonder her background. I wonder if these actions are born out of ignorance. Should this be a learning moment? Or should she be held ultimately um, accountable for her actions to the fullest extent? So So yes, I think there are mindsets that disqualify you. I also think it's like really unfortunate that we have that tension and that we have adults in this country who who do still commit actions born of ignorance around race. And I don't have a good answer. I don't have a good answer for what accountability looks like. Uh, Our final conversation today, uh, no teacher or parent will be surprised to learn that kids, even really young kids, are spending more and more time in front of screens. A new national survey conducted by watchdog group Common Sense Media puts an exact figure on just how much more. The survey results, as relayed by NPR, show kids 8 and younger now spend on average about 48 minutes a day in front of handheld mobile devices like tablets or smartphones. That's up from 15 minutes per day in 2013. The survey also shows that 42% of young children now actually have their own mobile device, up from just 7% in 2013. I mean, these are kids eight years and younger. 42% have their own mobile device. Interestingly, the use of screen media appears to be falling among infants, that is, two years old and younger, down from 58 minutes four years ago to 42 minutes. Now that follows new uh, pediatric guidelines that call for more limitations on infants' use of media on screen, so it seems like that message might be getting through. 
Meanwhile, 98% of households participating in the survey said there was a mobile device, a tablet or smartphone, in their home. Six years ago, that number was just a shade over 50%. Overall, the survey shows kids' daily use of all kinds of screened media, from mobile devices to big screen TVs, has actually remained relatively static since 2013. At just about two hours and 15 minutes per day, this suggests the use of mobile devices is replacing time spent on TVs. Well, what does all this mean? As NPR points out, researchers and pediatricians say we simply don't know yet what long-term effects the use of screens is having on our kids. One pediatric researcher and author quoted by NPR says, we're only beginning to ask the questions about this, let alone answer them. Even as research continues to call into question how much kids are spending in front of screens, many school districts are investing in one-to-one initiatives, buying electronic devices for use in class, and piloting and promoting so-called educational apps for students to utilize. So possibly mixed messages there. Still, the head of Common Sense Media says this, the use of screens is, quote, fundamentally redefining childhood with enormous implications we have just begun to understand, end quote. So how do you see the use of screens redefining childhood for your students? And um, Rebecca, you teach the youngest kids at the table. I you, teach you, you, those eight-year-olds. Te- so I want to go straight to you first. Their devices are actually much nicer than mine. <laughs> it's very frustrating. Um, <laughs> do you, but do you see their use of mobile devices and screens in general redefining the childhood experience? I don't think that is too broad. Yes, I do. We could. That is not hyperbole. Um, just the ability to regulate emotions, to be able to cope with discomfort, to know what to do with boredom and unfilled time, to know what to do uh, creatively without that stimulation, without that dopamine shooting up there, the ability to play, the ability to self-entertain has changed unbelievably. They're not, they're not able to do it They are not able well. to do it. They are not able to do it, and when it gets going, it doesn't happen well. What about collaborating and working together? That's the, 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 that's, that's what play, play is. is. Yeah. That's play yeah. Yeah. And at 5 and 6 and 7, and we, don't, we collectively, me included, we don't know how to do it. We don't have the attention span or the interest level to follow it through from beginning, middle, to end. Um, and I just feel geriatric saying that, but I don't think it's an overstatement. Uh, once they get to high school, Maria, David— um, what does it look like once they get to high school? The number of times that Snapchat has caused some kind of drama llama ding dong at the school, <laughs> I don't even care to count. Yeah. It's too many. Mm-hmm. It's too many. Um, and then and, and inevitably, inevitably, I will like pull the kids one by one and I'll be like, well, did you talk to the other party? No. Well, why not? I don't know. They feel safe saying terrible things to each other through the filter of a screen. I guess final question for this segment. Do you find um, screen time or or kids' use of screens affecting their um, academic performance? And in what ways? Little kids first. Reading, language development, all of those things I think we're going to be able to draw a line to as delayed. Reading is different. Reading is different Reading now. Reading is different now. Spelling is different how now. How so? Yeah. Because words words on the page don't look like words on a screen. So how, how is that affecting and their ability to so read? so when you read a book that words are spelled out completely with punctuation and, and structure, that's a lot harder yeah, and a lot more fatiguing than having to get through. So you're, you're having kids who can't quick. read as long or they can't read as fluently? Absolutely. 
absolutely. Both of those things. They can't decode. They can't do basic word construction. Can I get in on this? Please get in. <laughs> Jump in. Oh, my goodness. So my students, and in, in the main subject I teach in my school is geometry, right? And there's so much logic and reasoning and almost intuition that you have to gain, right? And, like, again, things I've been noticing year to year, my kids really struggle to draw shapes. Like, basic shapes. And I think that's because they're so used to having, like, screens provided for them that like, create those shapes, right? But, like, what I try to explain to my kids in my class, I'm like, I force them to draw, right? Like, I'm almost like, you in that, like, I strip down my math classes pretty bare bones because it's like, look, if you actually want to understand how this shape works, you need to be able to draw it. Even if it doesn't look good, the actual process of drawing, it forces you to engage with it in a way like that you're Like drawing it with protractor, compass, all yes, that. Yes, yeah, all, all of that, that jazz, yeah. yep. And, like, that helps them understand dimensions, units, all these different things. I'm not going to get super into it, but, like, some of the, the general common sense and, and intuition that comes with, like, math and shapes and figures comes through pen and paper, through drawing. And, like, when those things are taken away from you and done for you, you lose out on working that part of your brain, you know? And, and so I think, I, think, I think, yeah, it shows up in, in, in deficits in a variety of ways, right? And so that, that, that hits a personal chord with me. It's just I wouldn't have imagined it being the same way with, with reading. Yeah. Well, as Rebecca said, it's not going away. They're here. <laughs> so educators have to figure out a way to, uh, to deal with it. Stay tuned. We are going to do Kids These Days after the credits. This episode of No Wrong Answers is sponsored by the Kauffman Foundation. No Wrong Answers retains total editorial control. And what our teachers say are their personal opinions, which may not reflect the official policies of the schools and districts they work for. Like us at Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, even though we just had that conversation about um, screen time. Just search for the No Wrong Answers podcast by Fountain City Frequency. You can find us at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Once you find us, subscribe and leave us a review. It helps. There are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. If you've enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, leave a review, and keep the conversation going. Now for kids these days, what are your kids into? Maria. Prom. Okay. It's always, yeah. No wrong answers, audience. I need your help. (laughs) I need your help. Okay, so I, my students, I work at a school that is a a burgeoning school. So right now we're 5'11". Next year we'll be 5'12". So the kids that I teach are our uh, founding class. And so they are juniors. This is our first ever prom. And there is much debate over where we should hold prom. It needs to be somewhere that is, I've been told, what is it? On fleek, is that correct? Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that correct? Well, I've I don't heard know. on fleek, yes. Words, words are hard. So anyway. Um, so you're looking for an, an yes, on fleek. An on fleek place to have prom on a budget. So if you know of any, <laughs> hit me up. Oh, yeah, I guess I was thinking homecoming, but you're talking about prom, like the oh, end no, of the year. Oh, no, because this is like <laughs> the first prom. <laughs> yeah, this is the Man. first prom our school right. has ever had. Yeah. Yes, and they also said it has to be, quote, lit. I think that means cool. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> I use that's a little fire nice. So, All right. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, what are your kids Halloween. into? Is Halloween. Is Halloween coming up? <laughs> it's coming up. We are within the one-week window. Thank you for all the candy that's coming to school. I'm taking all of it. Um, <laughs> I love the fun size confiscation window. And um, a lot of Wonder Woman this year. A lot of Star Yay. Wars. Awesome. So the costumes are looking trendy. But it's not going to get here soon enough. And David, what are your kids into? Um... It's kind of random, but I had a bunch of student birthdays this past week. Um, a lot of my female students and even some of my guy students, but, like, just making such a big ordeal out of it being your birthday, like, at school. Like, What would they do? Like, so, like, all of them would, like, 
wear tiaras and or sashes <laughs> and like would like go around being like, hey, it's my birthday. Like, you should give me something. <laughs> like a like a beauty pageant sash. Yes, yes, literally. <laughs> like, it is a happy birthday. And I was like, whoa, this is, I, I mean, like, I'm all about celebrating your birthday. It was just, it's just so interesting to me how like they are like almost commanding it. It's like, it is my birthday. You're going to recognize <laughs> that and you're going to celebrate it with me whether or not you And then once one kid does it. Yeah, everyone yeah, does yeah. it. No, I mean, right. there was like, eight kids who did it this week like several students in my class together like both had on a tiara both had sausage and I mean it made my life easy to came I was like oh hey happy birthday <laughs> right but at the <laughs> same time remember. it's just like really funny how I, I, I've never seen that yeah. I think that trend's gonna continue probably so well thanks to our teachers this week Maria Kennedy Rebecca McIntosh David Persley thanks as always to Matt Hodap who produces the podcast thank you to KCUR 89.3 Kansas City Public Radio where we tape and remember kids be nice to your teachers <laughs> <laughs>